Hello and welcome to the Dekai Podcast. This is our 58th meeting, a Digital Era Entertainment's anime podcast. Oh boy, it's another Friday. We got more anime, more stuff to talk about. And we have a really good topic this week. I'm actually really excited. I'm kind of surprised this is on that list of things that when it was suggested, I sort of had a moment of, wait, how have we not talked about this yet? But we will get to that later. Uh, For now, I am your host, Joel. And joining me today are two guests, well, uh, two co-hosts coming to us from Frangieville in the municipality of Frangieland. I might have inverted those. I'm not quite sure, but it's Frangie. Hello. Yay, very excited. The freshly uh, crabapple tree-free Frangieland, to be specific. Yes, and before that, I was doing Redacted with um, a certain other missing host. <laughs> yes, yes, very exciting. Lots but of I'm redacted. here. Yep. Yes, uh... And uh, returning to us, and now on as a uh, temporary extended contract. We're not paying anyone here. There are no contracts. But anyways, extended guest co-host, Tamsin. Hello. Yay, very excited. Um, How's your week been going, Tamsin? It's been pretty good. So about those sushiritos that we discussed last week. Ooh, yes. Do we have an update? We have an update. I took it upon myself to investigate the local sushirito place near me. And Franji, I'm very happy to report that they do, in fact, wrap them in nori. Yes. Doing the good work. Thank so, you. Your your mileage uh, may vary for your local. What did you get? Oh, uh, salmon. Mm. Yes. Salmon with mango. Now, of now course. is this. Full, Ooh. like, wrapped around, because there's hand rolls, which are not sushi Ritos. Yeah, this is, this is, like, full, like, the real, well, I don't know what the real deal is, because sushi Ritos are kind of a made-up food. Yeah, kind of is. Sounds good anyways, and hey, anything, like, salmon is my go-to for sushi as well. Um, I'm very spoiled. There is a really nice Japanese uh, marketplace, uh, Mitsua, that they have a couple dozen, I think, actually dotted around the U.S., but... Um, they have, uh, just sashimi grade sushi. So I can buy a big slab of salmon for like eight, ten dollars And now I'm at the point where I don't actually order sushi from restaurants much anymore because it's like, well, why would I pay $15 for what is effectively, you know, a quarter of the amount of fish that I can get when I can just, you know, do it myself and I'll make like hand rolls or rice balls myself. Nothing fancy. I'm not able to do the good like hand roll stuff or the um uh you know like the the normal roll i can take the nori throw the rice in and wrap it up pseudo burrito style or just make a rice ball that uh tastes the same still very very good that's Dang what it. i used this is to not do a food but episode. then i then i moved to frangi land <laughs> and there's no really good places to get fresh fish cuz you know we're super landlocked so i can't yeah, roll them at n- home anymore I was really surprised that I was able to get it because I'm pretty sure that Dallas is farther inland than where Frangieland is. No. You have the Gulf, like, kind of right there. No, that's if you're in Houston. Oh, Which is I don't a six-hour drive away. I mean, I'm pretty close to the Great Lakes. I, those, I don't know if those count. They're not really mm, the ocean That's fair, because you don't actually <laughs> get um, salmon and whatnot from there. 
But anyways, uh, <laughs> we're getting sidetracked. Tamsin, Tamsin, we told you that we get on food tangents. Just uh, understand that this is coming with the territory that you are entering. Dan, I'm, I'm, uh, I feel like I need to facilitate whenever I can. <laughs> good, good. You'll fit in nicely here. But yes, uh, I was able to catch up a little bit on anime this week. Uh, last week I was preoccupied with the uh, adaptation of the Who Framed Roger Rabbit radio drama script, which, by the way, uh, plug, uh, this is not going to be terribly useful for any of you listening to the recording of the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, etc., because it is tomorrow, May 22nd, at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Franji, you're narrating, which I'm very excited about because, well, it is literally your field of expertise. <laughs> and uh, we have a bunch of uh, our other regulars in some very fun roles as well. I myself have a bunch of bit parts. I'm going to be playing Marvin Acme, Lieutenant Santino, and Bugs Bunny, among a few other bit parts. But I am still very much looking forward to it. And it's going to be the one-year anniversary celebration of radio dramas, which is very, very cool. Woo! But anyways, yes, now I was able to actually watch a fair bit of anime this week. I'm not entirely caught up, but mostly there. Um... So far, everything this season's really been pulling its weight. Uh, I'm a bit behind, particularly on Vivi, but I still need to get caught up on that. Uh, Shadow's House, I think, is now just locked in, probably is my favorite new one of the season. It's been really, really good. Um, given where it is now, I feel like it's going to have to get a second season, um, but I'm optimistic because it, it's by uh, Cloverworks, so... You know, and hopefully they'll do a better season two of it than they did with Promise Neverland, but that's separate. Um, but Tokyo Revengers has been good. Moriarty the Patriot just continues hitting every single week. Megalobox 2 Nomad is no longer the super, super depressing it was, but it's still really heavy. Um, I maintain that this feels like an entirely new series from the original Megalobox season. Um, Odd Taxi is Odd Taxi, and yeah, everything else has just been pretty good. Nothing quite revelatory. We're in that, you know, middle area of the season where things are hitting their stride, and uh, none of the, you know, crazy revelations are coming in yet, but I'm expecting a lot of these series to really just, you know, go flying in the next three to four weeks, so looking forward to it. What about you, Franz? You been able to watch anything? Um, about half of what I would normally be watching. So I'm now behind on Boku no Hero Academia, which is like, <gasps> how could I possibly fall yeah, behind on that? It's but kind of a filler arc right now anyways. I've read the manga, so I already know what's going oh, on. So I was like, I can go, just yeah. let it sit for a while. Um, I'm also letting Slime Diaries sit because I just haven't really been in the mood for slow-moving, fluffy yeah, stuff. I, I've not been able to really get into Slime Diaries. I kind of dropped that one after two episodes. But uh, they did announce this week that... Slime season two proper will continue in July, so we have that to look forward to. Yes, we went from slime to slime diaries, and after that's over, we're gonna go right back to slime, so that's pretty exciting. Um, but I did watch Moriarty. Yes, you already said it, it's great. And I watched Fruits Basket this week, and oh my gosh. Um, I, they... I haven't seen this week's episode, but given where the week, where last week's episode ended, it sounds like we're in for a big one this week. Oh my gosh. Uh, then that's all I'm going to say, because I don't want to spoil it for you, but... <laughs> yep. The cliffhanger of the previous episode 
pretty cleanly sets up what we're looking at. And, uh, yeah, I'm expecting the feels. <laughs> I can't wait to hear your reaction next week then. Okay, uh, that's it for me. How about you, Tamsin? So this past week, I finished a series and keeping up with a series and just started a new one. So I finished the skating anime. This is the one that would have had so many exclamation points, they just substituted for an infinity sign. So the skateboarding one. And that one was pretty exciting. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it much more than I thought I was going to. Because, you know, with sports anime, I feel like you you just kind of expect that, you know, there's going to be some excitement from the competitions that they do. And this actually had me on the edge of my seat pretty consistently, which I did not expect. And I thought was great. And I won't talk about everything that I entered from the series. I'll save some of that for today's discussion. So we'll come back to that. Ooh. I am keeping up with Odd Taxi. And it was it was kind of interesting because um, it's been a while since I've kept up with the show as the episodes were coming out. And, you know, typically I just kind of binge watch after all, all the episodes are out. And, you know, when you get like recap episodes, it always feels like, oh, God, like, why am I watching this? I, I just need to skip this. I've, I've just seen all of these scenes like two hours ago. But there was a bit of like a recap that they did on Odd Taxi uh, last week. And that was super helpful because I was starting to get really confused about how all the characters were related to each other. So Yeah, and it wasn't like a full recap episode, but they they took a proper scene to bring Mm -hmm. everyone back up to speed. Exactly. I really like that. You know, they kind of they did a really good job, you know, having like a character who had no idea what's going on and then using that as a starting point for the other character who knew everything to, you know, catch up to speed. Exactly. So I thought that was really, you know, well done. Uh, And then I don't know if this technically counts as anime, but I started watching Ruby. I'm not going to count it, but I love Ruby, so I will allow this. I will absolutely allow this. (laughs) Okay, I'll I'll just give a quick shout out to Ruby. Um, I had started watching it a long time ago, back when just the first season was out and then kind of fell off because Mm. life happens. Uh, So now I'm going back. not that far because it just started a few days ago, but like halfway through season two. Okay, so you've still got a ways to go. Yes. Um, season two escalates. Season three is held as one of the best volumes. Season four and five are a bit of a lull. Um, mm-hmm. uh, power through those because then six, seven, eight ramps up again exponentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, four and five are not bad, but. Um, Circumstances require them to have some inherently lower stakes than you see in season three, and a couple people felt a bit disappointed by that. But uh, trust me, there's good character building and uh, like a lot of world building done in those volumes, anyways. So uh, still very worthwhile. But that is that's gonna be you know the weaker ones, but. Six, seven, eight are really, really good. So you have plenty to look forward to there, I can assure you. That's awesome. You know, I really enjoy when shows do world building really well. And, you know, it's not just like 
oh, well, there's this world, but we're not going to tell you anything about it. So yeah. I'm, I'm ex excited to hear that they're going to do more about that because... So Ruby actually also had a series of shorts that were exclusively dedicated to world building. Um, you might want to look them up because I think they originally aired in Volume 3. So it mm -hmm. is pertinent information to that, and it was just called World of Remnant. It's only like five, six shorts, I think. Um, so not very long at all. And uh, it provides some really good context and added stuff that isn't required reading, but does flesh things out a fair bit. Great. I'll, I'll be sure I catch those as I'm, as I'm watching yeah. the series. Awesome. Very excited to hear that you're uh, jumping back on that one, because uh, it is definitely one near and dear to my heart. We actually did a uh, Ruby radio drama, which covered the second half of Volume 3. Hmm. Yeah, so that one was a lot of fun, and I can't say anything more than that because spoiler territory. Spoilers. Oh, boy. But, uh, yeah, glad that everyone was able to watch some anime this week. Um, seems like, you know, we're in that part of the season where everything is just, you know, hitting its stride and everything's going along. Uh, like I said, I get the feeling that in about a month's time, our weekly recaps are going to be even more animated as series take more and more, you know, drastic turns. That uh, I'm a bit disappointed that I can't freak out with Frangi as much this week about Fruits Basket because I feel like that's, you know, we're going to be feeling that for basically all the series. And that's one of the things that I really enjoy about watching seasonal anime and watching multiple of them because you get to see these arcs and then just at the end of the season, everything is super exciting because it's, you know, everything is naturally hitting a climax at the same time, so it's just, you know, extra hype. <laughs> but yes, uh, so Tamsin, you are actually the one that chose or suggested our topic this week, and that is anime villains. And like I said, this is among those that I realized, how have we not done this? Because obviously, you know, villains are a big part of storytelling in general. This is obviously not a anime-exclusive thing, and it brings up a very interesting question of just, you know, what makes a good villain, and particularly in anime, and especially when you're not necessarily understanding the language that is being spoken of the villain, that what makes a villain memorable for you? Um, so I guess, Tamsin, since you were the one that brought this up in the first place, do you have any particular either aspects of villains or examples of villains? Uh, I guess get us rolling here. Sure, happy to get us started. So I've been thinking about this and I, I realized that I don't like I don't have a kind of a singular formula for a good villain that, you know, the villain has to like check off every single one of these qualities for me to enjoy them. But uh, there's, I think, kind of a, a, a few that stand out to me. So, well, and, and the way that this question actually um kind of occurred to me is when I was finishing Skate the Infinity. Um, so the series, of course, has, a, un unlike a lot of other sports anime, has a prop, has a prop villain, not just like a rival team that, you know, the main characters compete against, but an actual villain who is actually quite creepy. And <laughs> <laughs> I hear Franji laughing. And really does, you know, from the moment that you see um, Adam on screen, and it's not really sports villain. It's pretty clear from that. Yeah, I've only seen the first episode, and I can pretty much uh, call out, all right, you're the villain. 
Exactly. And, you know, he really, we see snippets of him in the first two episodes. And third episode is when he first appears on screen and we get to meet him more properly. And from that moment on, he it conducts himself in an extremely creepy way. And he just gets worse with every single season. <laughs> like, that was one of the things that really almost surprised me is that every episode I thought, well, you know, he's already really bad. Like, there's no way he can get, like, worse and more violent than this. You know, it's it's a sports anime. But he did. He got worse. <laughs> and, I love this. You know, and I think maybe that's one of, uh, you know, kind of a good qualities of villains is they kind of keep, you know, because part of the villain stories, of course, you know, they have, like, their own arc. And, uh, you know, part of what made Adam so compelling is that, you know, he has kind of this backstory that you know see why he's behaving the way that he is um but also he you know keeps raising the stakes for the main characters and you know it's never like all right you know they've kind of met some threshold and you know now they've won it's like you know every single episode until the very last one it just gets progressively harder for the protagonist to face him um, so i think i think adam did a great job as a villain that's, that's my tip I actually am wondering if I could piggyback off that a little because I had Adam on my list of villains too. Oh my god. And you said a lot of stuff that um that is really good and I think nails it about villains, but I want to make sure Joel doesn't want to weigh in first before I start yakking. Well, like I said, I've only uh seen the first episode and a half or so of Skate the Infinity, so I really can't comment on Adam. Uh, <laughs> I'm assuming that Adam is the, you know, imposing-looking businessman who appeared on a convenience store billboard poster and, you know, had just a couple little scenes where you see him sitting in his high-rise office. Uh, there's also the, you know, comically villainous uh, sk other skater character who was, you know, using little cherry bombs and whatnot. I can't recall his name, but... Uh, Shadow. Like, he was even calling himself the villain of the races, that he knew what he was, and he was leaning into it. Uh. And there, there's some villains like that, and I can appreciate that, but uh, I was able to detect from that and also just, you know, you can glean things from the opening sequence and uh, how they position characters that the the guy in the business suit is the real big bad here. Yes. Uh, so Adam is the blue, blue-haired one in the business suit, but he only wears the business suit about half the time. The other half the time, he wears a very, very extra sort of um, Spanish matador-inspired red outfit and has the crazy hair, and he is flamboyant as all heck. Oh, my. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, so actually, and you just said some cool things too. Uh, you talked about you talked about Shadow saying how he's just so stereotypically sort of villain-esque because he's like Hello? crazy and stuff. Um, I think but, Discord just flipped for me. Oh, well, I don't know what happened to Joel, but Neo Ivan said that if anything terrible happens during the DKI podcast and needs his attention, please let him know via DM or Facebook Messenger because he stepped away for some food. So, <laughs> so sorry, well, I just um, my internet just okay. Well, Joel's going to figure his stuff out. That is okay. I can totally keep talking um, about villains. So it's interesting because, um, well, now that it's just me and you, Tamsin, um, we know that Shadow is not actually a villain, right? But I can see why he comes off that way at first mm -hmm. because he looks like a stereotypical villain. So when I was thinking about villains, I'm thinking about what we're taught as kids when we grow up, when we yeah, like see Disney movies. Bad guys. 
Yeah, um, proper, I guess you could say, but we're, we're taught to view evil in a certain way. We're, we're taught that evil is ugly and over the top. It's, it's a tale as old as time. Um, look at the ugly stepsisters, too, in Cinderella and the stepmom. They're mean, so they're ugly, and Cinderella's the pretty one. Um, then you have villains like the Emperor in Star Wars that fit that trope. Um, Charles in Code Geass, they're just like kind of big, imposing, comedically evil, almost people. So so when we grow up, we're kind of trained to think that good things are pretty and bad things are ugly. Um, but that's not always the case in real life because real life is kind of ironic. And so I think it's a good villain that can shove that irony in our faces. Um, coincidentally, this, these are also some of the villains I love to hate the most, like the really pretty villains, because because of the way I grew up, I'm like, no, if you're sexy and pretty, you should be using that for good. So um, people like Moriarty and Light Yagami make me angry. But But anyway... So I was thinking of Adam, and I was thinking, where does he really fall? Because he's not, like, you can't say he's stereotypically, like, crazy bad, even though he's definitely kind of creepy, because he doesn't have that, like, wicked witch look to him. Um, so, and he falls into, like, another category for me that I think makes the best villains, and it's one that the hero can see himself in or otherwise sympathize with. Um, because that causes the most conflict. Um, oftentimes you'll get the trope of the conversation where the villain confronts the hero and says something like, well, you're just like me, or you're really no better than me, or we have X, Y, Z thing in common. Um, uh, like, like Zeke from Attack on Titan. Um, Aaron can totally relate to him thanks to family background things or other complicated desires regarding Titans and whatnot. Um, but so... You look at Adam in Skate the Infinity, and they he and Langa have that, like, funky sort of rivalry thing, but also, like, a weird partnership in the beefs that they have together. Uh, Joel, beefs are what they call, like, a, like a drag race between skaters, Oh, it, oh so beef is an actual uh, jargon term here, because I was like, well, yes. I, I understand what a beef is with someone. I'm they actually but, call uh, it that. I love that they actually call it a beef. That's great. Yeah. So like Longa, like Longa and Adam are basically doing the tango while on skateboards. And Longa gets legitimately doki-doki when Adam comes around. Um, and uh, at the end, without being too spoilery, but spoiler warning if you're going to watch it. Um, in the end, Longa ends up kind of seeing himself in Adam enough to relate or sympathize with him because he looks at Adam at that point and he sees someone who's forgotten why his favorite sport was fun or forgotten why he loved it. And he thinks Adam needs to be reminded because Longa went through a time like that himself after he stopped being able to snowboard. Um, so it's interesting because... When the hero can relate to and sympathize with the villain a little bit, it always gets you the burning question of, can this villain be saved? Um, or, or can the hero and villains actually become friends instead of enemies? Um, versus the typical question of, the typical simple question of, will the hero win? How will the hero defeat the villain? Because when it, there's more conflict like that, because the hero cares about the villain to some degree, you suddenly can't know the outcome anymore you can't take it for granted that the hero always wins in the end and that makes it so much more interesting for me to watch um yeah for that sure. was a long tangent i'm gonna be quiet now <laughs> no no that was a relevant tangent that, those are the types of tangents we want here Woo! exactly that kind of reminds me so another type of 
quote unquote villain that I, I think is compelling is like the trope where you have somebody whom the protagonists know either as a friend or like a long lost relative mm, yeah. that they like didn't know they had who gets yeah, recruited the, the to the dark previous side. relationship be it familial or otherwise yeah and uh you know then they confront this person you know it's sort of the same thing like they realize that they had so many things in common with that person but now they don't and that really makes the protagonist question you know what happened to their their relation the person that they knew did they change you know is this kind of the path that's destined for them as well so i think that's that's also kind of a very compelling dynamic that happens in stories yeah yeah and it fits get a little you know darth vader luke skywalker of join me because we have so much in common that you have the temptation of the villain and you know i'd say 95 times out of 100 uh, they're not going to actually have the protagonist actually accept this offer. And then even out of the times that the offer is accepted, even rarer are the ones where the uh, turn to darkness is maintained through the end of the series. But it still creates those really interesting conflicts and really good character moments that mm-hmm. you don't always get when it's just a simple, uh, classic, you know, over-the-top, as you said, Frangi villain. Mm. Yes, because you know that the hero, you, everybody knows that the hero will still find a way to win in the end, but you can enjoy sitting back and kind of putting yourself in that headspace of, well, maybe I'm really not sure. Because in the case of Darth Vader, like, Luke cares about his father and wants to know if, like, they could go back to something better, you know, maybe Darth will turn to the the good side or something. And so, like, you can get into that, that mind space of pretending you don't know how the story's going to end. Because if you think about it, starting a story already knowing how it's going to end is pretty boring. So yeah, anything that a villain can do to... Yeah. Yeah, then, like, and... This is more a narrative structure thing than a villain type thing, but I always just enjoy scenarios more when something is in a position where you don't know if the hero is going to win at all. That it, uh, I like a villain that has a real chance of winning from a narrative standpoint. Um, that you don't get that very often in shonen ones. That uh, you usually get it more in more adult uh, scenarios where all right, it's. You don't know that, but you can at least sort of realize, all right, I'm watching something that could be a tragedy. Or I could watch something where even if the villain doesn't necessarily win, that they might take the hero with them. That uh, I suppose that is an aspect that the villain's character doesn't inherently have control over so much as the narrative having control over the villain. But I always enjoy villains much more inherently when I realize that the narrative has at least the potential to allow the villain to succeed in some portion of their goals. So, like, would Light from Death Note and would Moriarty from Moriarty the Patriot fall into that? Is that the sort of thing? Yes, and and I suppose those two examples are particularly complex because that's when you have a protagonist villain. and, (laughs) And it's the type of thing of, all right, you expect the protagonist to win to some degree, uh, unless it is a tragedy. Um, And that adds several other layers, and that might also just be part of why I enjoy protagonist villain shows being, you know, Code Geass, Death Note, Moriarty the Patriot. Um, So I definitely think that that's a very good point to make, but uh, I'm talking about things... um, There is a 
uh, mafia anime called 91 Days that I really enjoy. And uh, it's the type of thing that from the get-go, just everything about this thing, that it, it's a really gritty noir series that uh, you don't actually get this type of vibe in a lot of anime. And it was something that very early on I was like, I could totally see uh, that... I, I know the protagonist is going to survive until the final episode, but I could see him just failing in the end, that this feels like a story where the villains have a chance um, versus, you know, something like a shonen where, you know, all right, Naruto's going to win at the end of the day. It's going to happen. But uh, if anything, actually, something with a sports anime, those are the ones where uh, the less... Uh, I suppose the less over the top villains, the, the the less villainous villains, the more rival antagonists um, have a chance. Because when it is just a proper competitive sports anime, I always think there's a chance for the protagonist to lose. But if anything, when you have a more properly villainous antagonist, that's when I realize, okay, odds of the protagonist losing here have just gone down significantly. I am, like, fascinated with your brain right now because, well, A, you pointed out a thing that I didn't realize was a thing um, that I also like. It's when villains are the protagonist. But you're talking about how you like to see them win at least part of the time. And I'm over here well, like, am I a horrible person? that I like to see them win. I like to... I like thinking that they have a chance to win. Yeah, see, because and I'm the total opposite. Certainty. I watch shows like that that have villains as the protagonist because I just want to see them fail and I want to see the hero. <laughs> I want to see Logan the hero Rock. win. <laughs> I enjoy seeing the villain win. I enjoy seeing the villain win, but the the real hook for me is even giving me if if I mentally feel that there is even a chance, I'm already more on board. But yes, I do enjoy seeing the villain win every once in a while for sure. Oh my gosh, I, I'm just like, I'm so morally black and white. I'm like, no, you're bad. You need to go down. And I want to see, like, I want to see L take down Light. I want to see Sherlock take down Moriarty. I can't, I can't stand. <laughs> I mean, it's cool. It's definitely very fun watching it. Don't get me wrong. But in the end, I'm always in it for the end game of, okay, and now the bad guy loses. So I don't know. It's so interesting to talk about this stuff. This is why I love podcast. You get into people's brains. Um... Yeah, I suppose one thing that really makes villains for me in anime, in terms of uh, narrative aside, villains that I just really enjoy, a yes. lot of it comes down to voice and the performance done by the voice actor. And this goes for both English and Japanese VAs that uh, I had to look this up to get his name. But uh, Yasushi Ohama, um, but known professionally as Snow Hayami, um, who Franji, you will recognize because he is the voice of Azami Nakiri in Food Wars. Uh, oh. He has been in a couple other series that I've watched. Um, he was in Assassination Classroom and played the chairman of the school there, the primary villain in that. And just, this guy has a villain's voice. It is low, velvety, and menacing as heck. It is just, <laughs> ugh. It, that I enjoy that. Um, Ed Blaylock, uh, rest in peace, uh, who was Fuhrer King Bradley in both iterations of Full Metal Alchemist in English. Just oh. he had this really 
awesome, intense, gravelly, low voice, and had just really powerful performances that, irrelevant of the circumstance, if the voice and just the performance of a villain is one that is strong, and that can be strong in being over-the-top and wacky, or if it's just downright menacing and chilling, that that will always make me just ten times more invested in whatever the villain is doing. I don't care what their motives are. If the performance is good, I will buy into it more and enjoy it more. Yes! Oh my god, okay, yes. So, I'm glad you said some favorite villains. I want to know favorite villains. I want to know Tamsin's favorite villains now, because this is fun. So, favorite villains. So, I also had the homunculi, just like the entire cast of the homunculi from FMA on my list. Um, okay, yeah, that's totally fair. Yeah, because I think, uh, you know, they're, they all have super interesting, you know, per- personalities, and they get interesting development. Um, I hadn't thought of voice, which I, now that you mention it, I think is totally spot on. Um, but another reason why I also like the homunculi and um, kind of uh, other, well, so I just enjoy the big casts of villains. Like I, mm. <laughs> this is kind of a more maybe aesthetic reason, but I kind of like with maybe like the Espada and Bleach. Uh, or the Ooh, Espada were good. Villains in Sailor Moon every season. Have you wait? Hold on, Tamsin. Yes. Get a little closer to your mic because you faded yeah, out and it sounded like you backed off or there. something. So uh, yeah, you you didn't clip out entirely, but it definitely felt like you were getting farther yeah, from the so mic. Yeah, so something about Sailor Moon. Would you mind repeating that? Okay, sure. I can. Yeah, there was a bit of background noise, so I wonder if that was part of why I cut out. Um, oh, yeah, um, but yeah, thanks for letting me know. Um, so. So I was talking about the homunculi, and um, so I really enjoy like the kind of the big casts um, of, of villains. You know, with like, every season of Sailor Moon, there's always you know, either like um, a Death Circus. It's a full team to oppose the team of Sailor Guardians. Exactly, and they all have like different abilities and you know different personalities, and you know yeah. they might they might be based around like you know in Sailor Moon, it's like gemstones or metals. Like there's always some theme. Uh, and it's interesting because then you get slightly different villains and then facing off, you know, the different protagonists, you always get like a slightly different fight and you don't quite know how it's going to uh, go out. Um, yeah, and especially when it's those teams, that's when you have the potential of, okay, even if I know the good guys are probably going to win in the end for something like Sailor Moon, when you have multiple villains and multiple fights, it's okay I could see two or three of the protagonists losing to the villains. That obviously the fight in the end that matters, it, they're going to win, but that there there's more narrative opportunity for villainous victories along the way. So that yes. was my really long roundabout answer to I love the homunculi from FMA and also really enjoy the all the super super yeah. nice sailor moon and just like some of my favorite scenes are ones where you get villains talking to other villains and it can be anything from them discussing their plans and then you get them butting heads about certain views or just casual things of them you know snidely looking down on the heroes or even more casual things where you know they might talk about you know like coffee or something but just seeing villains in their element while they are not you know actively being antagonistic 
I think is really cool because you get those scenes so infrequently. You're right. I hadn't even thought of that, but villains play by different rules when they're in an organization and when they're all together. So it is cool to see the dynamics there um, and yeah. also get, you know, but character even then, it's not always the same rules. Because, like, sometimes you have villains that are in an organization and they're honorable villains and, like, all right, they're not going to step on each other's toes because, you know, like, they, they have a mutual respect. And sometimes they're a band of villains that are brought together by a common cause. And it's like, yes, we are fighting for the same goals, but if you cross me, I will kill you on the spot and not blink twice. <laughs> oh, man. I can't wait for My Hero Academia to do some stuff. Um. Anyway, uh, you. I think yeah, you also were, were really good. Uh, Thames and Benjamin. So, sorry to cut you off, Ranji. I'm. I just no, really no, go for the it. Asana. They had really cool designs and just. Uh, one of the things I always fear in villainous organizations because it means each villain gets less screen time. That means that each villain is more likely to be shoehorned into a trope. And I felt that the Espada actually didn't fall into that, which is really refreshing. That they each had their own thing that made them unique, which is good. That you want each character to maybe, you know, have a center, have a core. But it wasn't, it didn't feel tropey. And I like that. So, uh, sorry, for, what were you saying, Franji? Well, actually, I'm going to ask first. For someone who is kind of bleach-challenged and only got through, like, the first half of the first season are they a spot of the ones that are like in the all white clothes with like the white faces yes. and the weird face paint okay all right yeah yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> cool they had some cool character designs i've had friends that have cosplayed a lot of the espada and yeah i never made it past the end of the espada arc because that it, that felt like when bleach was supposed to end and the manga was just too successful so um uh, I'm forgetting the name of the manga cub, but that basically they were told to continue because they were printing money and, you know, don't stop the money printer at the height of its uh, printing speed. So I can sympathize a bit with that, but I didn't actually get into any of the arcs past that. But that was already 300 episodes, so hey, it was a lot. That's why I didn't <laughs> get that far. <laughs> um, you know, it's... Oh, sorry, Franji. No, go for it. Go for it. My, I don't have a, that big of a point. It can wait. <laughs> I, I was just going to respond to Joel that it's funny that you mentioned that you stopped after the spot arc because that's where I dropped off from Bleach because I was like, well, that was fun. Yeah, and, and it felt like a really good ending. That I'm, I'm assuming, Franji, that you are not going to watch Bleach. No, it's been too long. You can spoil it for me. That's fine. Yeah, and, and yeah. we're pretty much statute of limitations of spoilers. This is not a thing of just at the end of that arc, he defeats Aizen. And he loses his Soul Reaper powers. And uh, I thought that was a really cool ending because it made it feel a bit more poignant. It was like, all right, there was some sacrifice here, uh, but the, the evil was defeated. It was a really good climactic final battle. And it, I heard that there was more stuff afterwards, but from pretty much everyone whose opinions that I really care about, they were like, nah, don't worry about it. The other stuff is okay, but uh, that just, it did drop off a bit because it, it seems that that was the original intended end for the series. You know, that kind of makes sense because sort of the theory that I've heard, of, or the way that I've heard Bleach described is that the villains and the protagonists just got overpowered very quickly. 
And it makes sense if you consider the Espada arc as intended to be the end. You know, some like everyone should yeah. kind of be at their max. And that is just potential. also sort of a symptom of shonen, shonen in general, that power scaling is a thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, I I heard that in Bleach it just got kind of really out of hand and Ichigo just ended up with way too many powers and abilities and, you know, yeah. probably still interesting, but maybe a little too much. But yeah. Anyway, sorry, Franji, we stepped on your toes, like, twice, so please, I'm now actually really no. curious. <laughs> no, you didn't. You didn't. I'm the one that's interrupting for once because I like villains, and I really like hearing but anyways, what please, you so guys talk see in villains. villains. To us. I was just going to agree with your thing about voice that Tamsin already agreed with because I hadn't thought about that coming from the voice actor. Like, sounds really stupid, but but um, that's why I like Shigaraki Tomura so much. Uh, I mean, there's other reasons that I like him, but he's got a great voice, and I just hear his actor start to do that creepy thing, and I immediately have this huge smile on my face, and, like, my wife hates him. She's like, he needs some (laughs) chapstick. He's so creepy. There is nothing about him. He's not even that fascinating. And I'm like, listen, he's got red shoes like Midoriya, and his voice is great. Um, So that's something I'm going to have to think about more going forward is how much voice plays into into villains, because... Boy, you can do some really creepy things that you don't get the opportunity to do with more straight-laced characters, and uh, that can yeah. really stand out and cement a villain in your brain. It's cool. Mm-hmm. And then it gets even weirder when you have a villain who becomes a ally of the protagonist in later scenes because their voice, like, usually then it's a more comedic thing that you'll have them exhibiting their old villainous tendencies, like every so often of a saying, you know, oh, let's kill them, and the protagonist will be like, no, we can't do that, and be like, aww. Dude, I have kind to say like that is... but... Yes! I mean, I don't know if he was ever, like, a villain villain, but how no, about Bakugo was a villain, but uh, that's how you... That, that's the type of talk that you'll get from ex-villains. Yes. Yes. Um, and I mean, I, Tamsin, I don't think you've seen Dr. Stone yet, have you? I have not, but please take it away. Oh, God, you really should. But anyway, but okay, so so villains uh, that have interesting voices. You have uh, Tsukasa, who's always doing this, like, very subtle, kind of soft-spoken little, like, mm, and then he'll say a sentence kind of thing, and you just get so used to hearing it on the villain side, uh, and then things happen, and um, I don't know how they're going to go, uh, but it'll be interesting... I'm not going to get into spoiler territory, but anyway, Joel, that's what you made me think of with your comment. You made yeah. me think of Dr. Stone villains. Tsukasa so. is also just very interesting because uh, he's an antithetical villain in that he is brawn, brawn, brawn by a, all rights of appearance and abilities, but he's also actually got a brain. And the way he, he talks me. shows it. Yes. He reminds me of Shinka from Code Geass. When he comes in and he's just like, can do everything crazy that Suzaku Kururugi can do in a nightmare frame and more. And, but he's also got like the brains of Schneisel and Lelouch. Um, and he was just like so OP that they had to make sure he was dying. <laughs> or, or it would be too much. Uh, characters like that are really formidable and Tsukasa definitely fits that. Well, I figure we might as well do it and just talk some Gios villains a little bit before we end because we've had the brief asides to it, but, uh, you know, there are so many villains in Code Geass, like, there's, um, 
I'm forgetting the name of the Viceroy in like episodes one through four. Clovis? Uh, and Clovis, thank you. Yeah. Uh, and that he's sort of your more traditional, straight laced uh, royal villain of he's uncaring, he's a bit ruthless. And when it gets down to it, when there's a gun to his head, he's a blubbering coward. Uh, not super interesting, but enough to act as a good plot device to get things rolling. And then you start getting more and more interesting villains. Uh, we're not even going to count Lelouch himself at this point. Um, and for a while, it feels like Charles is going to be that sort of, you know, straight-laced monarch villain. And then it starts getting revealed, no, there's actual, you know, machinations behind this. There's this own sort of tragic backstory, and it's it's done a bit rapidly in trying to make you sympathize with Charles, but it's still done in a way that since the things that you are supposed to sympathize with Charles for are the th is the exact same thing that you're supposed to sympathize with Lelouch for, that you've been sympathizing with him for the entire series, makes it... So even if it's rushed, the fact that there is this reveal of, you know, once again, similarities and parallels with villains and protagonists, that uh, their motives are the same, at least on a very base level, and that sort of the, the triggers for what led them down their respective paths was the death of Marianne, it instantly makes you be like, oh, dang, I, I am now conflicted. <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and then voice again v2 what he uh, definitely stood out yeah well well v2 v2 is interesting because he's a little bit monotonous but in the same way uh is just still very interesting because of everything that he embodies uh i actually really enjoyed charles's voice both in english and in japanese um i thought the english va who's name escapes me, actually did a really good job of hitting that boisterous, but also it, menacing might not be the right word here. Intimidating might be the right word, actually, uh, of just uh, he's very powerful and commanding, and you can tell this person is leading an empire that uh, owns half or like a third of the world. Yes. Uh, and then there's Schneisel, one of the ones who falls into the category of making me really angry because he's beautiful and he's smart. And Disney taught me that beautiful and smart things should be good things, but Schneisel's not good at all. Well, that's also <laughs> corroborated by the fact that for most of the time that we know him, he seems like, oh, gosh, this is the only noble with a heart that uh, <laughs> for the longest time we're made to actually like him and be like, okay, if we can get him to be the emperor, we might be in an okay place because everyone else in this royal family is a piece of crap. But Schneisel mm -hmm. actually cares for people and, you know, seems really smart. He's the only person that ever beat Lelouch in chess. Uh, you know, if the monarchy has to survive, Schneisel might be our only hope. And, and then so Damocles happens. Yeah, Damocles happens. He goes too far down the other end, and it's like, well, I'm just being nice by killing all these people. And you're like, no, no, you did it wrong, Schneisel. No, you no, did it wrong. No. <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh, Gios. Uh, anyway. 
How much time do we have? We have time for some last villains. What other yeah, villains do we talk about? Some of the villains that they're very I sorry, complex thoughts here. One of the villains that I hold on a pedestal, and it's not from anime, that I have always sort of had as my gold standard of if you can make me feel what this character felt, you're a good villain. And that's Dolores Umbridge from Harry Potter. Yes, you've talked about her before. I swear we've talked about villains at least I, once I, before, I but just in the capacity of ones we before. hate. Yeah. Um, and Dolores Umbridge, uh, Tamsin, have you read slash watched Harry Potter? I have, yes. Okay, well, so in that case, you two understand of just everything she does is just vile, deceitful, spiteful, and utterly realistic of... You know, even if it's not to that degree, you've encountered, you know, a teacher who just had it out for you. Or you know someone who is just that level of spiteful and lying with a smile on their face and you can't do a damn thing about it. And a Azami Nakiri got up there for me. I think that's where it came up in the past, Ranji, that I was, uh, I think it was probably in our past recaps when... Food Wars was airing that I mentioned that Azami Nakiri got yeah. to that level for me. Yes, on several that, different that uh, ways, uh, partially because of the fact that he's an educator as well, but also just in the things that he did to Arena and to the school at large. Um, but that type of thing of it doesn't need to necessarily be you know an educator villain, but if it's something, if it's a villain that is doing stuff that feels real and also just feels, you know, really hateful. It, it has to be more than just blanket murder because mm. murder and death happens in media a lot. It is cheap because it, you can do it in media and it doesn't hurt anyone in real life, so they take advantage of it. And mm. uh, that's not to say that a villain who kills is not one that interests me, but the killing has to be done with a certain level of precision and motive and usually with a method that feels particularly hateful to really, you know, get my blood boiling. Um, and sometimes they don't need to kill. Sometimes they can do these other things. Sometimes it can just be the words and, like, you know, trauma that they cause for the protagonist. It can even be past stuff that you look at this character and just despise them. So what I'm honing in on here is emotional. If they can get your blood boiling, as yes. you said, and you have a yes. really emotional response of just, like, hatred for them, I agree. That makes yeah. a good villain, and I can think yeah, of a few. It, it has yeah. to be a, a, an emotional response of hatred more than shock value. Yes. That I can be shocked of, oh, wow, you just killed an entire village. I might not care about it, though. But if you killed the village... um that, you know, had just been saved by something, or if you killed a village that was particularly defenseless and we saw the suffering, uh, some of it can just be in how much of the villain's, you know, acts do we see, because Schneisel blew up the uh, capital city of Pendragon. We had no attachment to Pendragon. We did not see the destruction of it. We see the crater afterwards, and you have the shock value there, but um, it might have been a bit more visceral if we had had the scene of, you know, Damocles 
slowly floating above this grand, glimmering capital city. Children pointing up and being like, Mommy, what's that? And then seeing the bomb fall. Mm. Yeah, instead you get But the act is the same, and we know this happened. We just didn't see it. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. That was... um, So one of the things that's really important to me about villains, and I think most villains in anime, I think, do this pretty well, but I think it's important for them to, you know, not just tell for the narrative and for the villain not to just tell how evil they are but for them to show mm-hmm. how evil they are through their acts um and you know not just you know pat you know in the past you know in history this person has destroyed this stuff but exactly as you were saying schneisel it's you know in the moment us witnessing them actually doing all these things or if it's a flashback you know show us the full flashback don't just mm-hmm. have someone tell the story orally like give us the visuals let us see things as it happened even if it's not necessarily in the moment but uh, i very much agree with you need to show and tell neo ivan in our notes chat just pointed out azula yes once again don't quite count that as anime but yes i know but villain we've Uh, been giving examples to talk about villainy in general that are not from anime and and i think (laughs) I think what Azula has that makes her special is she has an attitude. She's sassy. Um, She is obviously, like, super cutthroat, and that is both shown and told. But also, she has a certain swagger about her. Comes down to voice again. I guess you could kind of count that in the voice category. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And uh, that was—her voice is Grey Delisle, who has done many, many voices in American cartoons. She has played uh, Emily Elizabeth in the Clifford cartoons. She has been, like, she's one of those voices that you don't know is a main voice of your childhood, but she is. So, yeah, props to her. Um, yeah, I'm going through uh, some of the, the list of my favorite shows and being like, all right, which one of these had some pretty good villains? Um, you all did not see... Well, Frangie, I'm pretty sure you didn't, but Tamsin, have you seen Little Witch Academia? I have not seen that one. Okay. Uh, very good show. The The one-liner I give for this is it's anime Harry Potter on Netflix, but the animation is done by Trigger, and it's actually super family-friendly. It's probably the most family-friendly thing Trigger has done. Uh, so, yeah, very good there. Uh, oh, have you seen Made in Abyss? Nope. Nope. Dang it. All right. Anyone who's listening to this, Bondrude. And that's all I'll say. <laughs> really good series. You should definitely watch Made in Abyss. Oh, man. My list is so long. But yeah, okay. Good villains. I love a good villain. Yes. <laughs> and then there's My Next Life is a Villainess, where the villainess isn't actually a villainess, and she's actually the protagonist and just a really good person, but that's entirely separate. <laughs> Subverting some tropes there or something. Yes, yes. False advertising. <laughs> In the best way. I, I don't know about you, Tamsin. Have you, se- have you seen that series that uh, I think everyone on the show, including Mario and Emmy, saw that one, and we were just, we really enjoyed that show add it to my list i i've definitely seen you know it being suggested in sports 
Yeah, that one's available on Crunchyroll. I think it's on Funimation as well. Um, but it's just 12 episodes. Season 2 has been confirmed. They haven't said when, but uh, it's really, really good. Very funny. Uh, they have some heavy moments, but it's it's a really good series. Definitely recommended. Great. It's on my list. I feel like I'm trying to think what... if there's any last ones to end on. Do anybody have sort of final ones they want to bring up? I want to give an honorable mention to villain, not villain, probably on the villain list, Itachi. Oh yes. Naruto. Mm-hmm. I, I love a good villain with a good tragic backstory. Yes. Yeah. That I, I guess that brings enough. up an interesting question of how much do you sympathize with a villain with a tragic backstory that is still committing total atrocities? You know, <laughs> while you guys were discussing Code Geass, one thing that occurred to me, well, one, it's been a while since I've seen the show, and so I've just forgotten just most of the names of the characters. The cast is so big. Um, but, you know, also, like, in that show, basically for every single character, I mean, with some exceptions, but every single character, they're a hero and they're a villain at some point in the story. Like, there's not, there's a lot of kind of these ambiguous gray characters. Wow, yeah, you're you're right. Mm, yeah. That's what makes it a choice to watch. You know, there's, you just, you, you just don't know who you want to root for and uh, kind of makes the story ambiguous in a way. You can't predict it very easily. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't really talk about that, but moral gray area and uh, where you begin to define a villain if it's not as clear cut as, oh, they're ugly and scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Okay, like, I've, I've been throwing around two distinct terms today of villain and antagonist uh, mm. because, you know, the villain is someone who is, uh, at least when I have been using that term, that is when I'm talking about somebody who is what we would define as evil doing bad things versus an antagonist is just a force that is opposite the protagonist. So uh, as you mentioned earlier, uh, I forget if you was Franji or Tamsin, that uh, there's a fair number of sports animes that don't have a proper villain, but they all have right. antagonists, that they all have the rival team, that a rival is an antagonist, but not necessarily a villain. Right, right. And, uh, you know, sometimes it is cool to see a series where there isn't a villain and just antagonists. That some, in some ways that makes it even more interesting because, I guess probably for me, when it, I think going to what you said, Franji, and well, actually, and Tamsin, you just said it as well, the, the gray area, that when you have someone who is an antagonist but not an inherent villain, going back to what I said earlier, you know, bring it all back together, that that is usually when you'll have someone who is more likely to have the antagonist win because there is the gray area that it is not clear that they are a villain and it is okay for an antagonist to win more so than it is okay for a villain to win. Mm -hmm. I want to see an anime where by the end, the good guys and the bad guys just completely swap sides. There have been a couple of those. Um, like... Like, I know I've seen a couple of those, and now I'm scrambling to think of, like, oh, gosh, which ones? Because I... Mm, crud, this is going to bother me now. But I, I know I've seen a couple, but you are right that it is a rare sight to see. But it's really cool when you have that done narratively of just, you know, 
slowly seeing the two because it when you have that sort of story it's usually super black and white in the beginning that it you know this is the good guys this is the bad guys and then slowly over the course of the story you'll see them drift closer and closer hit the gray area occupy the gray area and then suddenly you have the dramatic swap of uh wait a minute are we the baddies it's the whole live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Yes, precisely. Situation. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess that that's sort of what you see with Schneisel. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, that could be argued. Huh. Well, anyway. Villains are cool and they're fun characters. Like, they get the best dialogue. They do. Villains, yeah, they do. Yeah. Villains are fun. Stories can, well, stories can't survive without antagonists. They can sometimes survive without villains, but villains make things more fun anyway. So we do like our villains here at Dekai, but this has been a very fun episode. This one went by fast, honestly, because we were just rolling. <laughs> villains are exciting. We all yes. had a lot to say. We'll have to have another feature with villains. Yeah, oh gosh, and... You know, the, this, I think, comes down to the fact that none of us, I think, really watched it, but we totally just glossed over everything in Dragon Ball Z canon. That We went past Vegeta, we didn't talk Cell, we didn't talk Frieza. Like, I know these characters, and I know their basic arcs, but I have not watched, you know, a significant amount of Dragon Ball Z to really give informed commentary, but I know that, uh, sorry, DBZ fans, this is what happens when Mario is busy. He would have been... <laughs> You know, I'm sure if he were here, he would have talked DBZ for a while. And I get the feeling, honestly, that this is a subject that we will revisit down the line, that there is enough in what is a villain and just good examples of villains that uh, I wouldn't expect us to revisit next week. But I think that, you know, once we have Mario and Emmy back, that uh, in a couple months, I could see us having another villain episode, even even if it isn't exactly like this one. Yeah, I bet they could bring some stuff to the table that we don't, that we didn't talk about for sure. Heck, we didn't, like, Franji, we've been watching it. We didn't even talk about um, Fruits Basket and the various types of villains in that series. (laughs) Oh, Fruits Basket, it hurts me on the inside. I can't talk about it right now anyway. (laughs) But yes, before we head out, Tamsin, do you have anything that you want to plug? Uh, nothing to plug to, uh, this week. Remember to be good kids. <laughs> that, that's all the advice I have. What about you, Franji? I got nothing that I can talk about. Okay, well that's fair, yes. Lots of redacted that, uh, Emmy, as always, continuing with her redacted. Mario continuing with his not redacted, but still very busy work with GalaxyCon. Uh, as we mentioned earlier in the show... Tomorrow, May 22nd at 4 p.m. Eastern Time will be our radio drama first anniversary show, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Uh, Definitely going to be a lot of fun, and it will, as always, be uploaded to YouTube about a week or two afterwards. But do try to catch it live. The chat's good, and, you know, getting to hear us do our thing, and also, who knows, I get the feeling, I hope, Franji, that... Something happens because we have some shows that just go by the script, go by the book, and they're still very good. But this feels like one that is just 
since it is a more inherently wacky show, that it will lend itself to some ad-libbing or hijinks. And uh, frankly, even if we don't do any ad-libbing, it's going to be a really funny performance. But I get the feeling that there are going to be some landmines for people to trip here. I'll try my best to be prepared. I'm glad I'm the narrator because I have never seen all of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I only caught part of it on TV when I was about, like, seven years old, and I barely remember it. So, <laughs> should be hey, fun. I hadn't seen it until I had to do the script, so uh, I'm glad I've seen it, though. It, it's a very good show. I, I see why the people in the cast wanted to do this and why there are so many that are excited for it. So uh, all right. you'll definitely have it a lot to work with when it comes in into the narration, so don't worry about that. But apart from that, uh, we are not actually going to have our Friday happy hour this week, uh, but it will be returning next week. As always, uh, there is wonderful nerdy content here on Digital Era Twitch, six days a week, seven if you count the occasional Saturdays, which is this week. So yay, full week programming. Uh, I will be back on Thursday with RJ. We are continuing along with Famicom Detective Agency, which we started last night, which is really good. Kind of feels like uh, Ace Attorney, honestly. We haven't, there's no courtroom stuff, but it's that type of investigation, murder mystery, visual novel. So a lot of fun. Uh, and RJ and I are really looking forward to continuing that. And as always, we'll be back here on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time for the 59th episode of DKI. So until next time, stay safe. Stay sane, get your Fauci ouchie, and we will see you back here on Digital Era Twitch. Mm-hmm.